0: Welcome to Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone in the Libertarian Institute. Today I am joined by Jenk Uger, author of Justice is Coming: How Progressives Are Going to Take Over the Country, and America is going to love it. He's the founder of The Young Turks and co-founder of Justice Democrats. Mr. Uger, where is the best place to purchase the
1: book? Uh, thank you, Keith. It's at TYT.com/slash justice. tytcom justice.
0: Awesome. Links for that will be in the description below. Here is an article from The Intercept. It says, according to estimates provided by the report, at least 86 civilians were killed in airstrikes and raids carried out in Yemen on Trump's watch. Most of these killings occurred during the years 2017 and 2018. Would you be in agreement with me that Donald Trump should be in jail, not for this documents thing, but for uh, killing 86 civilians in an undeclared war?
1: Yeah, so look, um, there's an argument to be made that all the presidents who have done those drone strikes uh, have broken the law in one way or another. Uh, I would argue that uh, Obama had one of the most egregious uh, violations because uh, they said that extrajudicial killings were okay, which they are not. They're unconstitutional. Uh, They killed uh, Anwar Avlaki. They called him a terrorist. And maybe he was. Uh, but we don't know. We never adjudicated it, uh, and he was an American citizen. Uh, and then they killed his two kids in uh, two different bombings. So I think the drone strikes that we do are deeply problematic. Are the American people going to be okay uh, with putting Trump and Obama and and all Biden and Bush, all of them, in prison? Probably not. Uh, they're probably going to say that that was in the regular course of their um, you know job of being president. Um, I might disagree. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, But unfortunately, the American people have gotten used to it.
0: What if we embraced the uh, progressive idea of equality and just stopped having double standards for presidents and politicians? If the Catholic Church, Amazon or I or you killed 86 civilians in an attempt to decrease terrorism in the future, we'd be going to jail. Can we just embrace equality and not have double standards?
1: Well, I would love that. Uh, so, Keith, uh, you also then agree, right? When the Israeli military kills uh, civilians at about a hundred to one rate of the Palestinians, and say, "Oh, well, golly gee, I was just trying to stop terrorism. I wound up killing a hundred times your civilians, though, while I was doing it." Oh, but I'm innocent. That 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 we should apply the same standard to them.
0: Unequivocally, yes.
1: Okay. God bless. Yes, I agree with uh, being principled and disciplined. And, and being fair to everyone, yeah.
0: When it comes to uh, property taxes, that's how schools are funded in uh, Arizona, where I live. I'm not really sure about other states. If people are unhappy with the results of the schooling system, would you support their right to opt out of chipping in for schools?
1: No, but that's a complicated one uh, because um, just the other day on, on The Young Turks, uh, the show that I host, The Flagship, uh, show, the TYT network, um, we were talking about uh, school boards and how progressives should run for school boards. And uh, and s- somebody wrote in about being angry at conservatives uh, taking over school boards. And I said, look, I don't agree with their uh, policies. I think that uh, what they're trying to teach the kids is deeply problematic and, and pretty much prop- conservative propaganda, but they have every right to run for a school board. Uh, it's called democracy. Uh, so why don't you run and beat them? And if you don't, it is what it is, right? But it, in terms of how they agree to you know, what they teach the kids, yeah, that's tough because you've got to balance the parents' interests uh, with facts. So if the parents wanted to teach 2 plus 2 equals 13, we can't. I'm sorry. I, I know you think it equals 13, but it doesn't. And so no matter how emotional... Uh, you are about the fact that it equals 13 it still doesn't so that's why it's a really interesting tough balancing act as to what we decide to teach our kids
0: yes and uh when it comes to something like that as far as having a discipline mechanism of keeping people honest i think allowing people to vote with their dollars and opt out of funding them just as if any private organization was doing a poor job we'd be able to disassociate with them why not be able to opt out of funding schools
1: so, Keith, the reason for that is because if P- if we allow people to start opting out of taxes <clears throat> based on their personal proclivities, then everybody would opt out of taxes for everything. So, and for example, uh, I think the Pentagon's a joke. I think it's a vat of corruption. Uh, they, can't, they haven't passed an audit in five years. They can't account for half the money we s- send them. I think it's organized robbery. Uh, do I want to pay uh, taxes to uh, have my money stolen by a bunch of defense contractors? No, I don't. Uh, but I can't opt out of it because if I opt out of it, my neighbor opts out of it and he opts out of it for a different reason. And the guy down the street opts out for a different, and then nobody pays their taxes and we don't have a government and we have anarchy.
0: Okay, Uh, in the case of the Pentagon, when they actually have a number of things provoking a world war on two fronts against Russia and China, all the civilians they killed, even in that case, people should be forced to chip into an organization which is in the process of killing civilians and provoking a world war on two fronts.
1: Yeah, that's how democracy works. And I know when you frame it that way, it sounds super uncomfortable and awkward, and that can't be right, can it? Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's why if you're a libertarian on the right or you're a progressive on the left, that is why it's imperative to get involved in democracy and to win, because by definition, democracy is communal. We all are voting for uh, a certain set of leaders, and those leaders are going to do a certain set of uh, actions, and we cannot micromanage them. And so... In in a way, you might want to say, hey, but we should. Well, okay, then you have to talk about trade offs, right? So, for example, in California, there's an enormous number of ballot measures. And so there's a great upside to that because it allows us to say, no, 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 this is what I want you to spend my money on, and I'm going to vote yes or no, and it's a little bit more direct democracy. Now, the giant downside of that is that it leads to endless ballot measures that are purposely confusing. And half to, half the time they're phrased to get you to do the opposite of what it sounds like. And then giant corporations come in with millions, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising to trick people. And then and then they ask you to vote on judges. How the hell does anybody know all the experience of all the different judges? Right. And then so what happens then? Big companies come in and buy off all the judges. So these issues are complicated and there's not an easy answer of like, well, I don't want to pay for that, so I'm not going to pay for it. Yeah, I hear you, brother, but then nobody will pay for anything and we'll have anarchy.
0: But, well, as far as whether it would be chaotic, governments have caused a great deal of chaos with the First World War, the Second World War, the proxy wars during the Cold War. So it's not like anarchy is unique to chaos but uh, when it comes to really empowering the workers, if uh, these corporations who can't take a penny out of my pocket unless I voluntarily give it to them versus a state which claims the right to jail me if I don't chip in for their programs, whether they work or not, isn't the state a much bigger exploiter than the corporation?
1: No. Uh, and I, I'll explain why. And this is a core part of the book, Justice is Coming. So um, so the state, in a, a, the way that the founding fathers set it up, Uh, is supposed to uh, represent the people. And for a long time, it actually did. And I also explain that in the book. And when the state uh, does its job, and it's a real democracy, and it represents people, it is a beautiful thing. And so I know that the government is maligned and attacked and attacked, and sometimes by libertarians for good principled reasons, but oftentimes by, by corporations for their own purposes, which I'll get to in a second, Uh, But, for example, uh, and a lot of examples of this in American history, but between 1938 and 1978, um, on social issues, we were a mess. But on economic issues, we had real democracy, and our representatives actually represented us. And they set up some of the most popular programs the world has ever seen, and they built the greatest middle class the world has ever seen. Okay? So now, on the other hand, corporations, the founding fathers warned us greatly about. They said, watch out. These guys will take over, and they are not representative. They are not built to be representative. They are not meant to help you. They're meant to help themselves. And there's still a need for them, but as James Madison said, they're at best a necessary evil. And remember that the American Revolution was just as much against the British East India uh, Tea Company as it was about um. Uh, against the British Empire. Because at that point, the British companies had taken over the British Empire. And it was their tea that they had thrown in the harbor at the Boston Tea Party. So what wound up happening is the founding fathers said, be super careful, do not let these corporations form unless they promise to deliver, not just for their customers and their shareholders, but for the entire community, right? Uh, And eventually we lost track of that. And, And in 1978, the Supreme Court killed off our democracy by allowing bribery. They said corporations can give unlimited money to politicians. There's nuance there in the decisions in 76, 78, and then eventually in Citizens United. But that was the thrust of it. And you could tell from the dissenting opinions. So um, uh, one of the justices wrote in and said, this is a mortal danger to our democracy because companies do not care about the general welfare. They only care about their own welfare, and they will crush everything in their path to maximize profit because that's what we built them to do. He was 100% right. That's exactly what happened. And brother, the number one problem with government today is that corporations are allowed to bribe our representatives and turn them into their representatives. That's why the government has become organized robbery in a lot of ways. So when I say you've got to pay your taxes so that we can have an efficient, logical infrastructure, I'm not saying that I love what the government is doing now. I mean, as a progressive, there's tons and tons and tons of things that the government is doing that I can't stand. But what is the core of the problem? Is the core of the problem that the politicians woke up and they're like, like there's some on the right think, oh, I have a lust for power and I want to control people's lives. I could make an argument for that for some right-wingers. But, and by the way, some extreme left-wingers too, okay? But that's not the thrust of the problem. The thrust of the problem is, they're getting millions of dollars in checks that and they're doing exactly what they're paid for they are servants of the corporate class and the corporate class says let us commit unadulterated bribery uh, unadulterated robbery of the american people for example right now we give about 20 billion dollars in subsidies to the oil companies why they're the most they're the most profitable companies the world has ever seen and they dump all of their costs on us pollution, climate change, you name it, and they increase prices massively the minute that they can. But we're giving them our hard-earned dollars? I loathe that. The problem isn't that the government officials just love oil companies by nature or want to give away your uh, sovereignty to oil companies. No, they're getting bribed by the oil companies. The core of the problem is the bribery and the corruption and the corporate class that has taken over this country, not the servants they have in government.
0: Is offering uh, free college to everyone at taxpayer expense a bribe?
1: No, because you're serving the people. So, for example, if you say, hey, uh, Keith gave or Jenk me, I gave a, a million bucks to a whole bunch of senators and then they gave me a subsidy for a couple of billion dollars for the couple of million dollars that I bribed them, which, by the way, is very, very common. So I could in the book, I explain how Sheldon Adelson did that a couple of times with Donald Trump. Uh, But by the way, yes, Soros does it with Democrats and Koch brothers does it, do it with Republicans, etc. There's something deeply wrong with that because they're saying do not serve the general welfare, only serve my interests, right? But if you're serving the general welfare, that's exactly what the government is supposed to do.
0: When it comes to the minimum wage issue, uh, I worked at Walmart uh, previously, and both uh, our previous and current CEO, H. Lee Scott and Doug McMullen, came out in support of increasing the federal minimum wage. Amazon has voluntarily embraced a $15 an hour minimum wage and sure. recommends that uh, the uh, federal government uh, embrace the same thing. Why are these big corporations advocating for uh, the same thing the Justice Democrats and the DSA are?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Amazon is a great example. That's why I did voluntarily. Uh, so I'm really glad you brought that up. So uh, Amazon, of course, did not want to pay $15 minimum wage. Why? If you just think about it. If you're an average American worker and you're listening to this, do you think that corporations have your best interest in mind and they voluntarily want to pay you as high a wage as they possibly can? Everyone listening knows, no, they don't. They have their best interest in mind and they want to pay you as low a wage as they possibly can because keep it their, keeps their costs low. We all get it. We all get it. They want costs low, profits, uh, revenues high, so you can maximize profit, right? So, and you are their costs. So, Amazon fought that tooth and nail. They didn't want fifteen dollars minimum wage at all. And Bernie Sanders and and Ro Khanna in the House, two progressives, started building tremendous pressure on Amazon. They introduced a bill called Stop Bezos Act, and they started pounding away at Jeff Bezos and Amazon to try to get equality. A, a and to deliver for their workers. And everyone in mainstream media or corporate media, uh, which despises both the right wing and the left wing, uh, they love the corporate middle. It's not actually the middle of the country. It's the middle of corporations. They have nothing but scorn for Bernie and Roe. And they're like, oh, that's not how things work. You can't pressure that poor, poor company to deliver for their lowly wages. Who cares about their employees? How dare you do this? And this is not practical progressives can't get anything done. You know what happened? No. Ro Khanna and Bernie Sanders kicked Amazon's ass until they surrendered. And there's this famous video now when Amazon manager has to go out into the plant and say, we are now raising all of the wages to $15 an hour. And the plant goes nuts and everybody celebrates. That's what progressives can do when they're fighting for the average man, right? So now the genius of that move is not just to put pressure On Amazon and to get them to move but they knew and this is smart and this is how you get things done that as soon as Amazon moved to $15 minimum wage they were going to try to get everyone else to move to $15 minimum wage because they didn't want to be at a competitive disadvantage so they turned Amazon from their enemy to their ally by getting them to move first so that's how you deliver for Americans by pushing corporations Uh, to do the right thing and not just hoping that they do it voluntarily, which is never going to happen.
0: It's not just hoping if there's a union who goes on strike and says, we refuse to spend one more second of our time working. That's a totally legitimate way of using the leverage that you have in the marketplace. So uh, are there any um, legal sanctions or does anyone at Amazon go to jail if they don't pay 15? It just sounds like a ton of voluntary pressure, which is totally legitimate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I think that there's, so first of all, things don't have to be binary. They don't have to be zero or one, right? We either do nothing or we do something. There's a wide spectrum. So if someone's not following a government regulation, there's a lot of different things you could do before you get to prison, which is pretty extreme, right? Um, But should uh, some corporate executives go to prison for some of their transgressions? Absolutely. Do they ever? No. I'll give you a great example. Rick Scott, he's the current senator from Florida, and he's one of the biggest crooks in American history. He committed the largest Medicare fraud, uh, and they had to pay. And by the way, his company admitted it, and uh, they confessed. They were found guilty. Uh, they had two different sets of books, and they had to pay a one point seven billion dollar fine, which was just a fraction of the money that they stole from your grandmother and your grandfather when they stole purposely stole from Medicare. The guy who ran the company was the CEO, was Rick Scott. So the company was guilty but nobody went to jail. So they stole a couple of billion dollars at a minimum, but only the company was guilty, but you can't put the company in jail and the company uh, is still exists. And Rick Scott, you know what he got for that? He didn't get prison time. The company paid him $300 million on the way out for a robbery. Well done. And so this is the absurd system that we have now where these corporate machines rule us all. And then they could rob you and then laugh in your face and reward the guy who did the robbery, and then he became governor and senator. So yes, there are some situations where corporate executives should go to jail, but you don't start with that sanction. You move up to that for egregious actions like the one Rick Scott did.
0: Exactly. There are certainly evil corporations, uh, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, and i uh, my whole thing is we got to be able to disassociate with them in our time and money. So if I take that minimum wage example, that all work it would be mandatory payment of $15 an hour? Is that what you're advocating?
1: Yeah, if you have a federal minimum wage or a state minimum wage of $15, yeah, you have to pay $15. That's right.
0: So if I go to college and spend four years of time working there... I did. And I got paid zero dollars an hour. That was me choosing to labor very difficult conditions, even homework for zero dollars an hour while the college raked in millions of dollars a year. Is that a violation of the minimum wage principle?
1: No, because you're volunteering for it. So let me explain. Uh, First of all, I did the same thing. And of course, I wish I could get paid for the college, for law school, et cetera. We all wish it right. But that is just a wish. And so I'll give you an example um, from the left-wing criticism that i don't agree with so uh if you remember HuffPost uh back in the day uh used to have a ton of bloggers including me uh and a bunch of celebrities bill maher john cusack etc and uh and they all and that was a huge part of the website a huge part of what made it popular and and profitable etc and then they wound up uh selling it to aol for 315 million dollars and all those bloggers who had done it for free, not all, but a lot of them came forward and said, Ariana Huffington owes us money because we blogged for her. That was our labor and she didn't pay us. And now she got rich. Nope. Wrong. I was one of the biggest bloggers. There I was actually top three on the site. I blogged probably more than almost anyone on the site. I put in a ton of hours there. I did it all for free. Why? Because it wasn't actually free. I was getting something else in return. We weren't all suckers. We were doing it for a reason. And what I was getting in return was publicity and promotion. And my blog kept uh popping up on the front page of one of the most popular websites in the country. So you can't squelch on the deal afterwards and go, "Well, I wanted the fr- free publicity and that's why I was writing, but now that you got money, I want it. I want it. No, give it to me." No, that was not the deal. And the same with colleges. So you went there voluntarily to get an education. And that's the deal. And and that education both enriches your life and allows you to get a better paying job. That was the deal. Now, these colleges (laughs) have turned into highway robbery too. But as long as you're volunteering to go, and probably we will with our kids, then that's our problem. And that's the choice we made.
0: So if I voluntarily agree with an employer to work for $0 an hour at an internship or one or two or $3 an hour, That would mean that we shouldn't have a minimum wage because I'm doing it voluntarily and that's the upfront agreement. And I'm doing it to get on the job experience so I can be a better, more skillful employee in the future and demand a higher wage. Uh,
1: Yeah. yeah. So yes and no. So once the uh, government lays down some rules, you have to follow them. So the colleges aren't violating any rules. Uh, HuffPost didn't violate any government rules. But if you allow for voluntary two dollars an hour, then there's going to be economic pressure for two dollars an hour. And then it destroys the point of the regulation. So regulations, I know libertarians view it as a super dirty word. It's just a lo- wor- another word for law. And we need laws. Otherwise, we can't function together. But on the other hand, if you say, hey, I would like to carve out something in the regulations or the law that allows for internships where you work for zero dollars voluntarily because what you're getting back is experience. Yeah, that's fair. That's a perfectly fair point. And in fact, I agree with that point. I think that the internships should be allowed. I think the internship rules now are a little too strict. But by the way, if I find that the rules are not exactly right, I lobby against them, you know, just verbally. I, I don't have a lot of money, uh, but, um, but I still follow them. And that's the way things should be.
0: But if $0 an hour is okay for my work as an intern, what's wrong with one or two or three or five?
1: Yeah, Why because- can't I
0: get some compensation?
1: Because of the economic leverage that you talked about earlier. So uh, when we, the government, um, in, in the book Justice is Coming, I argue for, so Bernie calls it democratic socialism. I'm not a socialist. I'm a capitalist. And so there's a, and we, we believe in very similar rules, but there is an important difference. And, and the way that I frame it is, I believe that democracy should check capitalism. So the capitalism means the companies are out for themselves. Okay, no problem, right? But there needs to be somebody out there out for you to protect you. And so before the government did that, capitalism ran wild. And so we uh, had a seven-day work week or at least a six-day work week for sure. And oftentimes people were pressured into seven days a week. We had child labor. Uh, we didn't have 40-hour week. Uh, we didn't have the concept of overtime, etc. And the economic leverage and power of the companies created a situation where people had to volunteer for seven days a week, otherwise they'd be fired. They had to volunteer to have their 12-year-olds go down a coal mine, otherwise they weren't going to be able to eat. It's too much power and leverage, and you need the government to equal that out to some degree by allowing for unions, by Uh, passing some reasonable regulations so we could have weekends, et cetera, and protect the American people. So it's a balancing act. It's a balancing act between regulation and and leverage and power and all of these things to create a situation. And in that balancing act, if you don't set a floor for wages, corporations will have too much power and be able to drive prices down and then pretend that it's all voluntary, when in reality, the worker doesn't want to volunteer for $2 or $7.00, they're only forced into those market conditions when the government doesn't work to protect them.
0: When it comes to things like child labor, is that unique to capitalism? My understanding is kids have been working since ancient Mesopotamia, and it's not it applied to capitalism, but it's not unique in any way. Is that your understanding of history?
1: Oh, definitely. Look, uh, humans are beautiful, wonderful, cooperative creatures, and we're also ugly competitive dangerous creatures we are both and we live in that balance okay and if you allow people uh to do whatever they want not everyone but some group of people will rise up that will do anything to get power wealth privilege status etc and so will they uh use child labor of course they will will they do slavery of course they will will they destroy the planet to just make an extra nickel of course they will so not everyone will, in fact, most people won't, but some will. And if you let them run amok, uh, they will do those terrible things. It is not at all unique to America. The whole world has done it and, and it's been done historically. That is why it's important to have a democracy where we all get together and go, you know what? We're not comfortable with that. And we're gonna use our power as a combined community to say, get your hands off our kids. They are, you cannot send them down a coal mine when they're 12. We're gonna set some boundaries here. When it says some laws that you have to abide by.
0: When it comes to empowering the workers, uh, the uh, thing that uh, stood out to me was uh, research from the Cato Institute saying jobs requiring an occupational license increased from 5% in the 1950s to 22% in 2021. So if we know that needing a license to vote hurts the poor, needing many licenses to get your job and years of Uh, schooling, hurts the poor even more and actually stops them from getting the job in their dreams. The job of their dreams stops them from getting their foot in the door. Would you support decriminalizing all economic activity between consenting adults and abolishing occupational licensing to empower workers?
1: No, absolutely not. So, again, we have a balancing act here. If you say, hey, it's gotten a little too much, 22 percent is a lot, and I'm not sure that we need incredibly stringent board certification for hairdressers i said maybe you're right i mean I, there's a lot of uh, barbers in turkey where my the country i originally came from and i don't think they're board certified by anyone they do a perfectly good job okay and and the market decides which hairdresser or barber you'd like to go to but if you're saying uh we don't need board certification or any kind of um licensing for doctors oh no 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 i don't agree uh so because then the doctor comes up and goes oh yeah i got this ivermectin sure yeah yeah, yeah. i know it's for uh, worms Uh, inside your stomach, but I'm going to pretend that it's for COVID. Uh, And it doesn't help at all, but ha the government can't do anything about it. I can lie to you all day long. Oh, cancer. Uh, Yeah. You know what? I'm going to pray over it or I'm going to give you this snake oil and that's going to solve it. No, we're not going to let you harm people's uh, health or cost them their lives. uh, If you're in an important uh, position like that by saying, Oh, it's a free for all Uh, you'll figure out if you were at the right doctor after you died.
0: But that is an actual example of my body, my choice. I can take any medicine from any doctor because I'm a consenting adult kids. Different story. You're correct on that issue. But this is an actual my body, my choice issue where if I want to make an exchange with a doctor of uh, who is certified, maybe in another country, maybe in another state, maybe they're going through medical school. Why can't I do that? Why should the state forcibly stop us from achieving something we want to achieve?
1: So there's two uh, parts of that. So. Number one, as long as they're clearly labeled, let, let's say they're a doctor from uh, Trinidad, okay, perfectly great country, uh, and and their medical schools are fine. But on the other hand, you know, I don't know which of their medical school you went to, right? So I don't know if it was a good one, it was a terrible one, uh, it's a sham, it's not, I have no idea, right? But they put up a diploma and it says it's from Trinidad, uh, and you decide that you wanted to go to, to that doctor, okay. Uh, I, I can see it. But if they say they're a doctor and they're not a doctor, no, that's, no, that's lying to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we're not going to allow that. And so then if they say, hey, or they're a licensed doctor, they went to American medical school, etc., And they go, hey, listen, brother, my opinion is that ivermectin works. And then you go, OK, I like it and I want to take it. I'm not going to stop you. Like everybody was high on ivermectin <laughs> during COVID uh, and. I wanted people to take the right medicine so it saved their lives. And we lost a million people. We can get into that debate, et cetera. But if someone took ivermectin, I wasn't like, don't let them. No, you can take it all day long if you want, right? I'm just trying to help you, brother. And so, and then there has to be rules about how doctors can't lie to you because they could tell you, oh my God, this bubble gum going to save you from cancer, Oh my, don't, don't do the do proper treatment that the other doctors tell you, take this magic bubble gum for a million dollars and it'll save you over your cancer. No, we're not going to let you lie to people and cost them their lives.
0: Excellent point. I'm totally against fraud. Fraud uh, should certainly be prosecuted. The reason this is such an intimate issue with me is, uh, I had a brachial plexus injury when I was born. My arm is indefinitely broken for 27 years as a uh, result of, uh, medical issues. Um, I recently, I, go. Uh, About a year ago, I was 290 pounds. I was in very terrible shape uh, and I was just miserable. Both of those things, I went to doctors for a very long time and got no solutions. Went to an unlicensed massage therapist, and my arm is in better condition than ever, and I heard about a low-carb diet and had an exercise from a YouTube channel called Gravity transformation fat loss experts. And those two did more for my health than anything I've experienced in the medical industry. That's why it's important. Is there anything else I'm missing on this medical licensing issue?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, on the massage therapist, I I don't know why she's unlicensed. She seems like she's perfectly good at her job, wish she would get a license. I don't know the intricacies of the massage laws. So I can't say if it's dangerous or not dangerous for them to be licensed or unlicensed. So, you know, maybe it is in a a way, I I could envision why massage therapists could need to be licensed. On the other hand, I could also envision a scenario where you say, no, you don't need a license for a massage. And I'm open to that. I'm totally open to that, right? It's just a discussion of where we draw the line. Uh, In terms of listening to the guy on YouTube, oh, yeah, that's your choice, brother, right? And so, and and it worked for you. I'm super happy about it. What's wrong with that? I mean, I, if it turns out that it works for you, but you're the exception and nine out of 10 people wind up getting really hurt from their advice and that they know that it's fraudulent advice, okay, then the government can do something because it's fraudulent and it's hurting the majority of people, even if it helped you. But it doesn't sound like that's the scenario. It sounds like they were just giving you advice that you could take or leave. You took it and it worked for you. That's called hashtag freedom.
0: Got it. The book is Justice is Coming How Progressives Are Going to Take Over the Country and America is Going to Love It. Links are in the description. I want to ask you about this just because there are wars being uh, provoked with Russia and China. Here at SSS.gov, it says federal law requires nearly all male US citizens and male immigrants 18 through 25 register with selective service. Do you support military conscription?
1: That also depends. Um, so, um, for example, in Israel, they had, uh, they, and they still do have military conscription. Did Israel need military conscription in the beginning? Absolutely. So they were being attacked uh, fairly regularly. Uh, and if you go to the country, which the ultra-Orthodox do, and they go, okay, I want everybody else to protect me, but I'm going to sit on my ass over here and and not get involved. Uh, You guys go risk your lives, uh, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to have my son do it. Um, Well, that's not fair. We're either in this together and we're going to survive together or we're not. So on the other hand, you have a perfectly, you know, large developed mature country like America. Uh, Do you then need conscription and a draft? Well, it seems less clear. Right. And so And then we haven't done a defensive war since, what, the War of 1812, (laughs) right? Almost all of our wars have been offensive. So if you say, hey, I need to uh, do conscription for your kids to go send them to go die in Iraq so we could drive up oil prices and defense contractor uh, uh, profits, my answer is hell no. You're not going to take my kid. So it it depends on the situation. Uh, I think that right now the but by the way, there's also a downside of not having a draft. So we just have to be open-minded about all of the factors, right? The downside of not having a draft is that in the old days in America, the kid from Kansas and the kid from the Bronx got together in a trench, whether there was a war or there wasn't a war, and at least they trained together, they lived together, and they learned to empathize with one another and realize that they're way more similar than they realized. Without that, we have a country that's greatly divided. So all these are complicated issues, but if you said to me right now, conscription in America – I understand them registering us. I do not agree with them drafting us.
0: With the case of Israel you also had a lack of safety because Ergon, Stern, and Haganah were uh, bombing uh, Israel into existence with uh, Zionist terrorist organizations. So it's not like, well, we'll, we're just here sitting defenseless, so we need someone to help us. There's so often, every time you look under this, sort of like, you know how we got uh, attacked out of nowhere on 9-11, except for the fact that it was the result of Iraqi sanctions and support for Israel atrocities in Lebanon and occupying the land of the two sanctuaries. So even when we're in this situation where a draft might be, quote, needed, it so often is the result of provoking a situation where uh, one wouldn't be. uh, Are there really any examples of when there should be military conscriptions, either throughout history or today? Vladimir Zelensky on February 24th of 2022 uh, instituted military conscription, and as is uh, Vladimir Putin. Is there ever a justified time to force someone to perform labor against their will in these terrible conditions?
1: Yeah, there is. So let me... Take it uh, one at a time. So on the issue of Israel, yeah, it's complicated and it's nuanced. Were there some Zionist organizations uh, that uh, did terrorism before the formation of Israel to drive out the British from the British mandate? Yes. Were they uh, actually critical to that goal? The answer is probably. And did some of their leaders become prime ministers of Israel later? Yes. These are just undeniable facts. So there's the you know double standard that we have here when... A Muslim does uh, fights for their rights uh, in healthy ways and in unhealthy ways through terrorism, which I don't support at all. Uh, we say they're all monsters, right? But when uh, Israel did it, we say they're angels. Well, let's make up our minds, okay? And so, uh, I, so I think Israel has a right to exist. I think that there should be a two-state solution. I'm in favor of Iron Dome to protect the Israeli c- civilians, but I have radical ideas, which are not at all radical, that the great majority of Americans probably would agree with, but no one in Washington agrees with, which is if we're going to give Iron Dome to Israel, why don't we give it to the Palestinians? Why can't we also save their lives, right? Um, so, but, so that's the Israel issue. Back to military conscription. Um, War of 1812. Uh, they, the British invade. They burn down the White House. There's an excellent chance that we lose the country. Everybody's got to rally. Sorry, but we all got to go fight. And, uh, and save the country. So, yes, there are scenarios where it is necessary. Uh, are there a lot of scenarios where it's necessary, especially in modern-day world and especially in America? No, there are not a lot of scenarios where it's necessary. But
0: when it comes to... the. The reason that I originally embraced progressivism was this unapologetic love of justice, imperialism, inherently bad. I don't give a damn what the economic benefits are. Racism, inherently bad. Sexism, inherently bad. Slavery and forced cotton picking is inherently bad. But then when it comes to forced military conscription, where you're more likely to die, more likely to get PTSD and get your limbs blown off than if you were forced to pick cotton... Well, then, all of a sudden, these issues are really complex. Can't we just say that forced labor is immoral? And if the government wants to get people to uh, be troops, they got to pay more. They got to provide better conditions. You can't just exploit us against our will.
1: No, we can't. We have to use nuance. I'm sorry, but it's true. It's it's the spectrum that we talked about before. It's not binary. So it depends on the situation. So if you say the government. Forcing your labor or conscripting you should be incredibly rare. I totally agree with you, okay? If you say there is no situation where that's necessary, I don't agree because you have a, a problem with the commons. So in a situation where you really need the whole community to chip in for whatever reason, whether it's taxes, it's a war, etc., and some people go, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit on my ass and I'm going to make you risk your life and I'm going to send your son, but I'm going to keep my son perfectly Uh, cushy and and comfortable over here and you go die for me and it's a situation where really our all of our lives are on the line no you don't get to do that brother you got to chip in that's why it's a community so look you know my issue with libertarianism and i considered it when i was younger is that it's too utopian it it expects human beings to be perfectly lovely okay and we aren't sometimes we need to be forced to do things so when someone you know takes another human being as a slave, you're saying, oh, well, they're forcing that person's labor. That's terrible. Good, good. Couldn't agree more. But then when the government says, I'm going to force you to not have slaves, well, I don't know about that. No, no, no. I do know about that. No, sometimes the government needs to force you to do something. And so it sh- it's, should be relatively rare. And we, if you say, by the way, if you make the argument as a libertarian today that we've gone too far and we've got to dial it back, I probably agree with you, Right. But I do not agree with the extreme scenario where the government can never do it.
0: Uh, so it's not everyone would be drafted according to sss.org. It's men only, so it's a uh, sexist uh, policy. Uh, would you uh, allow women to just sit back like uh, you feared would happen uh, from the rich or should women be conscripted to?
1: Uh, I would leave it up to democracy. Uh, but if I was voting and without... Uh, having studied the issues I would say no I would conscript, conscript women as well okay
0: uh, men are 50% of the population yet 95 percent of those killed by police according to the Washington Post is this proof of discrimination against men
1: no men are definitely more violent and more prone to criminality you know there's uh, all, all of these biases that we have oh you gotta uh, You know, you got to surveil Muslims. They're inherently dangerous. Ridiculous. There's 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. They're human beings just like you are, right? Uh, We got to surveil now the right wing, right? And some of their groups are dangerous militias that are looking to kill people, etc. Yeah, that's where the government has to surveil you. Sorry, that's not. You don't have the rights or the freedom to kill people. So if you have a specific plot, that is the job of the government to protect us, right? But should they be surveilling right-wing groups in general? No. No, that's ridiculous. Stopping for us in New York targeted uh, blacks and Latinos at a rate of 96%. It's absurd. It's crazy. We want you to stop the criminals, not random black people and Latino people. So on the other hand, if we were going to pick one group to be careful with... (laughs) And to tell cops the you know a TSA at the airport etc. Keep a little bit more of a wary eye. It would be young men because young men commit the overwhelming majority of crimes.
0: And you think that's mostly biological as the result of higher testosterone levels, since it's young men specifically?
1: Yeah, I I do. I, I mean, uh, look, I'm not a scientist, so I can't or by you know trained biologist, mm-hmm. so I can't tell you with great certainty if it's testosterone, other hormones. The way that our brains develop, etc., but the proof's in the pudding. There's, it, it's not America; it's the whole world over. Uh, is we've got prisons filled with young men, and so is it biological? Very, very likely.
0: Yeah, and uh, the reason that I bring that up is if I didn't know about the male, the men who are committing violence, I would just think that the world is sexist against men, and for no reason, we're disproportionately represented when it comes to. Uh, this issue in racial terms. Dr. Roland G. Fryer of Harvard University published an empirical analysis of racial differences in police use of force. And he allegedly came to the conclusion after studying 18 cities that there is no difference when it comes to blacks and whites getting killed by police when you take into account the circumstances of the event. Uh, Do you think race is a really big issue with police in general?
1: I, I do, but I think that it's complicated because it's got race is an issue and class is an issue, and those intermingle and that intermingling is where it gets really interesting. So I'll give you a bunch of examples to explain what I mean. So uh, if you said to me, and by the way, I don't just trust that one professor, a lot of other people have done studies uh, that show that race is a factor, but it also depends on the situation. So, um, does poverty create more crime? Yes. Is it because poor people are more immoral? Of course not. It's just that when folks have limited resources, just the nature of human beings, and it again applies all across the world, across all races and ethnicities, people get more desperate and are willing to do more things to try to provide for their family. So a good example is my home, my parents' hometown in southeastern Turkey. It happened to be near the Syrian border, and back then in the 1950s and 60s, they had these absurd tariffs, so everything was uh, a lot less expensive in Syria, and uh, folks, the great majority of folks down there were very poor. So a lot of people in my dad's hometown became smugglers. Did they become smugglers because they're naturally evil? <laughs> no, of course not. No, they became smugglers because it was a, a rare way to make money and actually eventually a decent amount of money, which they didn't have any access to otherwise, the laws made no sense, no one got hurt. And so they, a disproportionate number of them became smugglers. And that had nothing to do with the fact that they were Turkish. It had everything to do with their circumstance. So is it oftentimes about class? Of course it is, right? So um, so for example, uh, if you said, look, unfortunately, because of the way history has gone down in America, uh, Blacks and Latinos are disproportionately poor, and that leads to more crime because of their class, not because of their race. And so we have to control that, et cetera. Yeah, there's definitely validity to that. On the other hand, there are also factors that are just racial uh, that also affect the issues. So, for example, marijuana is smoked at the same rate by white people and black people in America, and black people are arrested at nearly four times the rate. It's actually 37 Another way to look at that is 370% greater rate than white people. Is that because all cops decided we hate black people and we're only going to arrest them? No, not exactly. Is that just because of class? No, not exactly. No. And a pretty decent explanation of it was given to me by a former Baltimore cop on when I interviewed him on the Young Turks. He said, look, Jing, we had a quota. We weren't supposed to have a quota, but we all do. Okay. That's, That's what happens uh, for police departments across the country. And we had to arrest a certain number of people. And even if you were assigned to a rich suburb of Baltimore, you didn't arrest anybody there. I said, why? He said, because if you arrested someone there, it could be a judge's kid, and then you're going to be in a lot of trouble, right? You go arrest black people in inner city Baltimore, and you're going to have no trouble at all. They have no power. You just put them away, put them away, and make your quota, right? So, and And then I said, well, did some cops enjoy that? He's like, oh, yeah, they did. They did. They enjoyed arresting black people as opposed to white people. So you see how it combines. And so and it's hard to take those factors and and divide them out. And so for if somebody tells you it's only racial and it has nothing to do with class, that is not remotely true. Because you could take race out of it in in so many different contexts. And class matters a lot. Right. Uh, But if you say, no, in America, it has nothing to do with race. That is also not true. Uh, And you could show different strands, different theories, different studies that show that race is also a factor.
0: When it comes to uh, disparities in income. So let's accept that it has a great deal to do with class when it comes to uh, different incomes, according to the 2018 U.S. Census Median Household by Income Ethnic Groups. Uh, Indian Americans are at the top, then Taiwanese, Chinese, Japanese, Pakistani, Filipino, Korean, Cambodian, Vietnamese, and then whites are 11th. What is it about these other groups? What are they doing that whites, blacks, and Hispanics can embrace so they could increase their skills and have higher wages uh, in the future? We also see a disparity between black immigrants to America at a rate of 30 percent, according to black enterprise, uh, as opposed to native blacks. What can people do? outside of using the state, if we could just take a break from that, to increase their income and be able to compete with Taiwanese, Indian, and Chinese Americans.
1: Yeah. So again, I'm in the uh, in the group, and this is a tiny group these days, unfortunately, where I think um, both culture and class matter, right? So if you start out poor, your chance of becoming rich is much lower. It's not impossible. And my dad did it. He was a dirt poor farmer and and by the way, one of the ways that the, the principal way that he did it was in Turkey in the 1960s, they offered a free college education. And we had to score high on your test to get it. And my dad worked his ass off to score high, but that gave people an. Uh, opportunity that they would not have otherwise had. So my dad didn't have to become a smuggler. He became a mechanical engineer instead. My uh, uncle became a doctor instead. We have to provide people with opportunity. And I think that's the right way to do it. Now, when you um, look at the immigrants that you're talking about, culture also matters. And that is where it gets really sensitive. And a lot of I lose a lot of people on the left and they get very uncomfortable about saying some cultures are more correct and more incorrect um, you know, uh, not overall, not in general, but about specific strands of the culture. That's where they get very uncomfortable. And and now I lose the right wing. I'm not saying libertarians, but I'm saying the, the Trump acolytes, MAGA, etc., in my opinion, because they go, no, my culture is better than your culture. Well, dude, you haven't even looked into it. First of all, I mean, look at the stats that you just gave. Apparently your culture, if you're, you know, in that class of white Americans or right wingers who are sure that your culture is better, Apparently, congratulations, you're number 12. Is it 11 or 12?
0: Okay. It's 11, according to 2018 U.S. Yeah. Uh, census median.
1: Okay. Apparently, you're not number one. Apparently, your culture is 11th best, even in America. So, uh, so okay, so what is the quote-unquote right culture? Um, well, valuing education and valuing hard work. So, sorry to everyone who doesn't agree, whether you're on the left or the right. It's just true. So you can get super mad at me and it ain't going to make any difference at all. And those Taiwanese kids are going to do better than you because they believe in education and they believe in hard work. So I'm an immigrant. When I came to the country, I actually found a list just like that, Keith, in my local library. We didn't even have the Internet back then. And I was actually kind of stunned to find it in a magazine. And it actually had uh, back then because there wasn't as many Asian immigrants. <clears throat> the top two uh, ethnic groups in the country uh, based on income were Turks and Greeks. How's that for funny? Okay. By the way, in Germany, Turks come at the bottom. Here in America, Turks come at the top. I could explain why later. But you can see that it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with circumstance. Okay. So now uh, in terms of uh, that immigrant mentality, I'm an immigrant that had that mentality. Uh, my wife is from Taiwan. Our kids are mixed race, Chinese and Turkish. Uh, and, and we, br- and she's an immigrant, I'm an immigrant and we b- brought that mentality here. So why do they do better in school? Uh, because a, we believe in them. B, uh, we expect greatness from them. If my kids get B's, I am very dissatisfied. And, uh, and, and they go to a public school and I went uh, to parent teacher conference just the other day and, the teachers are wonderful. And, and my God, there's some brilliant teachers uh, in that school. But there was one teacher in particular who started talking about, hey, don't be satisfied if your kids get C's because the D's could also get them in trouble. And I was like, what? What is this conversation? I do not want my kids involved in this conversation at all. This is the wrong cultural mindset. We get A's. We don't get, we don't even think about C's. No, a B is not good enough. You got to give me A's because I know you're capable of it. My parents did that for me. I would bring home a 98 and my dad would say, where would the other two points go? You know what that got into my head, Keith? I get it. That creates stress and it's got its downsides, right? But what it burrowed into my head subconsciously was, you're capable of 100 every time. And that's what you got to teach your kids. And that's great culture.
0: One final thing on the race issue. According to uh, Dr. Wilfred Riley at Kentucky State University, he said there is no race war going on in the USA, and currently there is no epidemic of white on black crime. In fact, interracial crime on an annual basis have been consistently 75 to 85 percent black on white for the past 30 years. So if you and I are not addressing this issue, David Duke and Jared Taylor are going to have a monopoly on this issue. 80% of violence between the races, the black is the aggressor, the white tends to be the victim. What is it about these stats? Are they untrue? Uh, Have you heard about this? And uh, what is the proper progressive way to uh, analyze something like this?
1: Okay, so first of all, uh, yeah, I have not seen that study and I don't accept it. And I don't mean I don't accept it as in I don't accept facts. Uh, I mean- I just haven't had a chance to study it, and and I've seen studies that show uh, very different numbers. So I, I can't stipulate to a study I didn't see. Um, so now having said that, is it believable uh, that Blacks uh, commit a, a little bit more crime or mid-size more crime, whatever the, the numbers wind up being, uh, uh, against White people than White against Black? Yes, that is definitely possible. Uh, is it because uh, Blacks are more racist against Whites? Of course not. No. Um, the there's two factors here, Keith. One is, again, we have class, and since um, the average black person is born into a family with one eighth of the household wealth of the average white person, they start in a hole. And I know, uh, you know, we were poor, we were middle class, my family. Uh, and then people say to me, I run a company, it's you know TYT Network, and they, say, I often get pressure. Why aren't you guys bigger? Why 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 haven't you beat CNN yet? Well, brother, I started in a hole, and I did. I spent a lot of years, decades, climbing out of that hole, right? So give me a minute. Uh, so class does affect people. It affects uh, the amount of crime that's committed. Not, again, not because they're bad people, but because of their circumstance. And by the way, sometimes people who commit crimes are terrible people, and I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, but there's a second thing, too, Keith, which is... Um, like Israel and Palestine, when Palestinians have no state power, they're called terrorists when they do violence. When Israel does state violence, they go, that doesn't count. That's not terrorism. So, but wait a minute, one side is killing a hundred times the civilians than the other side. Why doesn't their violence count? No, because by definition, we said state violence is okay. And individual violence is not okay. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And so here in America, you have white people are generally more in charge. That doesn't mean like, oh, it's like a white supremacist state and the leaders are secretly KKK. No, I just mean that because of the institutional uh, power that that extra wealth brings, they are more likely to be educated, they're more likely to get higher jobs, etc., and they're more likely to be in the in the ruling class, if you will, right? And so they set the laws that help them and don't hurt them right? So white people, while they're not necessarily committing as many crimes against black people, have a massive institutional advantage. So for example, they're locking black people up at four times the rate for the same crime of uh, possessing marijuana. So you can't just discount the state power that white people have in this country. And I don't say that is against white people. I'm just stating the fact of the reality of this country And, and any race that had that advantage would have the same would use it in the same way right so that's why that situation is is not at all um apples and it's a little apples and oranges uh based on what you just said there okay now but i will say one extra thing where now uh we've gotten into some fights with the extreme left uh on our on our flank there uh which is I think progressives stand for justice for all. And I talk about that in justice is coming and it doesn't mean justice for us. It doesn't mean justice for some, and it doesn't mean justice for just people accused of crimes. No, it means justice for all, including the people who are victims of crime. And so now there's this crazy line of thought, uh, in, in the extreme left where they think, no, because they're underprivileged, um, They should be allowed to like, I mean, look, sometimes it gets so extreme. Some are in favor of abolishing prisons. No, you don't have a right to to smash somebody's face in with a brick. That's not a right that you have. And so some folks got to go to jail. Oh, well, they were underprivileged. Okay. Yeah, but they still got to go to jail. You, I don't like we'll discuss how to fix those issues on a macro scale, big picture scale. And we'll talk about how to get to justice for everyone to the best we can. We'll talk about getting to the right balance. But that brother who just hit that lady in the face with a brick is going to go to jail. And if you don't agree with that, sorry, but 99% of the country doesn't agree with you. And you're way more extreme than you realize. So you have to draw the line somewhere. And I draw it with my own side as well as the other side. Um,
0: Currently in America, the... uh... Government generally runs the police, the military, the courts and compulsory education, not all education, but they are the only ones who have compulsory education rights. Um, Is it fair to describe these things like police, military and schools as free, universal and guaranteed services?
1: Well, you know, again, you're going to get into definitions, but should the government provide those things? Yes, those are core functions of the government. And should they be, quote-unquote, free? Absolutely. In fact, I can give you an example that's in in the book again. Uh, And again, you could order the book at tyt.com slash justice. In in this country, Keith, we used to have uh, private fire departments. Uh, And that turned into a disaster. We tried it. So Bob wouldn't pay his uh, fire insurance, and they would literally let his house burn down. But they found out pretty quickly, if you let Bob's house burn down, the house next to him is also going to burn down. And the one after that and the one after that. And it doesn't matter that those guys paid their insurance. And we quickly realized, no, the fire departments have to be public. Otherwise, we all burn together. So that's my take on it. But go ahead. ask. You can ask specifics.
0: The reason is because the military, it's something like $800, $900 billion a year. So it certainly is not free. However, when it comes to things like healthcare or college, uh, it's sort of described as the state can make this free if government controls it. But that would mean that nurses and doctors don't get paid. They're all just volunteers. So it, it seems like you're dividing things, whether they should cost money or they should be free. They both cost money. They both cost resources and face incentives and constraints. Um, so do you think it's honest to say that we can make healthcare free if the state controls it?
1: Yeah, so uh, they're saying free in the context of government and so if you want further clarification on that no problem and in fact I'll give you that clarification right now so when they say free what they're saying is that it's not they're not saying that it's magic and it's magically free and falls out of the trees right what they mean is that they're it's communal so and hence free to you on a specific level whereas having to pay for that sandwich or that Tank of gas is specifically not free. You have to pay for it on an individual level. But cops are free in the sense not that we don't pay for them, but that they we don't have to pay for them on an individual level. So when someone busts into my house, I don't have to pay the cops a hundred bucks for them to show up because we're all contributing to a communal uh, treasury, and out of that treasury, we're paying for the things like cops, fire department, schools, etc. And hence, they're free in that sense. You don't have to go and pay for third grade history class, but it's not free as in it doesn't cost money.
0: Okay. Um, I'm all for sense of community. One of the great things I learned in economics is that even if you are just reading a book by yourself, you didn't write the book. You didn't cut down the tree to make the pages. You didn't invent the words. You didn't make the ink. We're always cooperating and we need to look at the world in a very cooperative lens. Even people who happen to be born on the other side of the world, who are evil immigrants. Yes, you still have to uh, treat them with justice. You're constantly engaged in this complex web of social cooperation. I'm all for communities coming together. My entire criticism of progressivism is they don't let me opt out of fun and conservatism. They don't let me opt out of things that I think are non-communal. Versus things that are actually communal. Because it's not like, well, if you don't chip in, well, then the government just says, hey, can we do better next year? The government will put you in a cage, shoot you if you resist, confiscate your house for property taxes. So it's not like there's just greed on one side of the equation. Government seems to be far more greedy, at least with that fire, fire department example. They at least let you opt out without trying to put you in jail. Government will put you in jail and take away the house that might have burnt down if you don't chip in for their fire department. How is that any better?
1: No. So Keith, you, you have to have the government be able to enforce rules. Otherwise we have no communal experience at all. We have no community and it's a free for all. What you're saying is that you don't like some of the places where they've drawn the lines. And by the way, on at least half of your examples, I agree with you. And that's why I fight to uh, have us draw lines in different places and pass different laws. But, uh, Yes, the government has the power of the community. The community disapproves of you hitting that old lady with a brick in the face. So we have the power to arrest you, take away your freedom, and stuff you into a little cell. Now, that is an awesome power. I don't mean awesome as in good. I mean as in amazing, gigantic, enormous power, right? and But the government needs it. Otherwise, People are just going to take whatever the hell they want and we're going to have complete anarchy. And by the way, we've also tried that throughout history and it never, ever, ever works. And so, and by the way, when we tried it from the left in extreme communism, what, what happened? Dictators happened instantly because there is no utopia. I remember being in freshman year management 101 class and they start teaching us alternate, uh, alternative forms of management right? They go, well, we're in the capitalist system, but we're also going to teach you about Marxism, this then the other thing. And, and we get to Marxism. And at that point, I haven't read anything about it. And the first thing they teach us is, and I know this is for the Marxists out there. Sorry, brothers and sisters. I know it's a little bit of a generalization, but you know that it's generally the direction that Marx went in and, and what he wanted, which is take as little as you need and give as much as you can. I'm like, yes, but on which planet? Because that doesn't happen on this planet at all. Okay. People work as little as they can and take as much as they possibly can uh, in the reverse. In the it's just human nature. So I literally asked the management professor, can we skip this part? Because this is nonsense. No human being acts like this. So, and I, I look, I'm sorry if I'm going to offend, but I think the libertarians are sometimes go all the way around the bend and get close to Marxism where they think, oh, it's utopia. Everybody will act perfectly lovely. No, they will not. We need government power to some degree. But if you're worried about government power overreaching, I hear you, brothers and sisters, and a lot of the time I totally agree with you. So we have to be careful with that awesome power that the government has, but it needs it. Otherwise, we can't have any rules. We can't have anything that's communal. We can't, like the whole point of insurance, by the way, is if you, By the time you have cancer, it's too late. The costs are too high. You all have to pitch in when you're healthy and when you're sick. All of us c- pitch into a communal pod, and then you take out of it when you need it, right? That's health insurance, whether it's private or it's public. So there are some things that need to be communal and some power that the government has to have. the The better conversation, Keith, in my opinion, is where you draw those lines instead of saying that those lines should not exist.
0: OK, so when it comes to uh, let's take the uh, example of healthcare. care, since we've agreed that there's no th- such thing as truly free, what you mean is free at the point of access to that individual on the specific circumstance uh, when it comes to some things having decreased in price and increase. It uh, looks like from the research I've done, things like uh, hospital services, colleges, medical cares, and child care have drastically increased in price, whereas things like TVs, toys, computer software, clothing, and cell phones have drastically decreased in price. Uh, Do you have a general theory as to why some privately owned things decrease in price over time while increasing in quality, and then maybe we can apply this to the healthcare industry?
1: Yeah. So there's a whole host of factors involved there. Uh, one is, is it domestic or is it a world market? If it's a domestic market, there is, uh, by definition, uh, less options, right? And so that affects the supply and demand curves. Whereas if it's a global market for TVs, then their global competition is gonna drive prices down. And so, for example, in China, uh, now this doesn't apply to TVs as much, but it did for Korea and Japan for a long time. When they were poorer, they're not anymore, but when they were poorer, uh, they could pay a lower costs to their uh, employees that allow them to produce uh, lower priced TVs. And so in a world market, there's a lot of factors that drive prices down. OK, so a lot of the things that you sh- show there, medical care, et cetera, are a domestic market and where we have less choices. Now, in a domestic market, we have an extra layer of complexity, which is the corruption that we talked about earlier. So uh, we allow all of our politicians to be purchased by different industries. And in fact, a very conservative Republican, Mo Brooks, who was in the House for a long time, who I disagree with on almost every policy issue, had a brilliant and incredibly honest speech when he was running for the Senate uh, a couple of years ago. I put that in the book as well because it was stunning, his admissions. He said if you want uh, to uh, be the chairman of a committee in the House, you have to purchase it. And you can't, and you, it's about a million dollars that it costs. Now, they don't ever say this in the press, and the press knows it, but they never cover it. I'll tell you why they never cover it in a second. Um, but he said, but where are you going to get a million dollars? You can't get it from average Jane and Joe and Jane citizen. They don't have that kind of money. So you have to go to industry. Which industry do you go to? Well, whichever one the committee is regulating. They want to purchase you more than anyone else does. So you get a million dollars from the guys you're supposed to be regulating. Then you get this committee chairmanship and you dole out that money to other people, other politicians in your party. So you just disperse the bribes. I mean, look at how criminal this is. Right. And he explains, it's not me. It's Republican Mo Brooks explaining it. Okay, so and then he says at that point, then when you get into uh, the chairmanship, it's a quid pro quo. You have to do what the industry told you to do. Now, if you do that with TVs. Yeah, Sony can buy American politicians, too, but it gets it gets harder right but when you have a domestic market oh that's beautiful the smaller the market the easier it is to bribe government officials and drive up prices i'll give you a a specific example of that too this is also in the book in uh new jersey and then later also in texas virginia and other states uh some of the uh industry groups that give the most amount of money campaign contributions is how the new york times cnn politely call bribes um give most to, uh, state politicians. So they have a lot of power, by the way, uh, teachers, unions, police unions, uh, real estate. These are very powerful at the state level and at the local level. And so, but in the case of the auto dealerships, Tesla was not using auto dealerships. So franchise auto dealerships. So they made it illegal to sell without going through a dealership. That's the most, anti-capitalist, anti-free market thing I have ever seen. I'm a million percent against that law. That law is nothing but criminality, okay? And uh, luckily, in that case, a guy I don't love, Elon Musk, but he had enough power to be able to fight back, and he bought a bunch of politicians, and then they got to a level of parity on the bribes, and then they changed the law back that you could sell cars any way you like. But the reason I gave you that example is because the smaller the market, the better the bribes work. So a lot of those industries that you showed with that have higher prices they got there just by purchasing our politicians and getting rid of the free market and limiting your options so that they could drive prices up. Drug companies are the best example.
0: So in response to that, should we increase the amount of trading partners we have by declaring universal free trade? Just as we have trade between the states, we should trade voluntarily with other countries to decrease the monopolistic powers of domestic industry and increase consumer choice?
1: No. Um, So this one's also uh, complicated. Why? If you did completely free trade right now, uh, tens of millions of jobs would be gone almost overnight. Um, it, it would create a, an economic situation where you'd be crazy not to out. If you're a company and it, and it costs you, uh, you know, eight cents or let's go crazy and say 80 cents an hour in Vietnam to pay someone as opposed to paying them 15 bucks here, 25 bucks, et cetera, you're going to go to Vietnam. OK, so you're going to put your factories there, et cetera. So if we don't set some boundaries, the level of unemployment in this country would be monstrous. So you've got to be careful with the laws that that you're, you're passing. On the other hand, if you do the kind of tariffs that Donald Trump is suggesting, it's going to go in the opposite direction, create a different problem, also a giant problem in the opposite direction, because both of those are extreme. You have to achieve balance where you protect the American worker, but you still have enough free trade to drive prices down for consumers.
0: When it comes to education, uh, according to the National Center for Educational Statistics, there has been an inflation-adjusted increase of 287% when it comes to per-student spending from 1960 to the year 2010. Uh, Do you think the education system in general has a uh, spending problem or a management problem or an incentives problem? What's the progressive take on education?
1: So it has a lot of those problems. Um, And education is so fascinating So, you know, unfortunately, we have this reflex in this country of America's number one. And so, uh, you know, it might not be a great system, but it's the best system in the world. Um, No, it depends. Uh, We are number one in a number of factors, uh, like the military. (laughs) I don't know if that's something to brag about. Um, But what we are not number one is in education. Uh, The South Koreans kick our ass, for example. There's many examples, uh, but they're usually in the top three. But so is Finland. And they have taken very different approaches. They're usually the top two countries these days in both math and in other uh, aptitudes that we test across the world. And South Korea works their students to oblivion. I mean, my God, I think that culture way overdoes it on on how hard they work their kids. Uh, They've also got to have a childhood. I don't agree with that balance, okay? Finland, on the other hand, eliminated homework uh, eliminated private schools and, uh, paid their teachers as high as they pay lawyers and doctors. And magically they got, they became number one and they weren't number one until they made those changes. So it's definitely the changes. So that's why sometimes different methods work in different places and for different reasons. So in terms of education, uh, in California, we took away tons of money from public education, proportionately to what we used to spend per capita, uh, per GDP. Uh, back in the 1960s and 70s, uh, California had uh, one of the top education, public education systems in the country. Now we're uh, near the bottom. That's because we passed a law saying we can't increase property taxes. And so it got its store. And then we allowed for private schools where every rich person in California took their kids out of the public school system and now pay some exorbitant, ridiculous $40,000 a year for a second grader, $50,000 a year, $60,000 a year for third graders, fourth graders. It is unbelievable how much it costs. And then since they're already paying that much, they don't want to pay in the public school system. Their kids don't even go there. So they steal and steal and steal from that public school system until it becomes a disaster. Alabama Alabama, Mississippi uh, spend the lowest amount on education, and they get the worst education res- results. Now, is it possible that you could still spend a lot and get bad results? Of course. Could it be partly because of mismanagement? Of course. So you have to work towards what is the right balance in how you fund it and what is the right balance in the rules that you have for those kids so they can uh, get the best possible results
0: with all the free PDFs online and all the abilities for uh, private organizations to uh, share their work uh, in the form of things like PDF, I would think, can't you just copy the curriculum of schools that are doing much better and start teaching that? Uh, I don't know what the whole holdup is. Like Students are really expected to work hard and do what it takes, but on the teacher's side, it's like, well, we just no, we need more money. And until we get more money, we're going to try and uh, close the schools during COVID. And we can't uh, expect to have better results. They have very high standards for the students and very low standards for themselves. Why can't they copy the curriculum of schools that are doing very well?
1: So, look, I don't believe in creating the private charter schools that then sap money, more money out of the public school system and create another hierarchy, where so the public school systems are left with only folks who are poor and in uh, lower middle class, et cetera, and they have no resource at all. On the other hand, um, look, I'm as you could probably tell through this interview, I don't believe in rigid ideology and, oh, the left says this, so I must agree with whatever some dude on Twitter came up with as a leftist ideology, or some dude came up with leftist ideology 80 years ago or 200 years ago. No, oh, use independent judgment. So it, when it comes to the teachers' unions – They are right that they don't get paid nearly enough, and if we paid them more, I think we would get better results. On the other hand, um, yeah, sometimes unions have a downside of they make very rigid rules, and they don't want to change things. So they'll say, no, I'm not going to, we don't want new curriculum, we don't, that's change, and we're opposed to change. Well, look, brother, I got your back when you want more health care, when you want higher wages, uh, but... I don't have your back when you say, I don't want to try anything new. I don't want to do something different that might help the students. No, then I don't agree.
0: Uh, Dr. Chris Freeman, uh, a uh, professor, said that the government could seize all of American billionaires' wealth and it wouldn't be enough to fund its spending for a single year. When it comes to how much more should taxes be raised in 2022, the government spent six point two seven trillion dollars. How much more money does this organization need? Why do you advocate increasing taxes?
1: So there's two different issues here, Keith. Uh, One is how much should taxes be? And two is uh, what are you doing with them? Okay. so first, let's tackle the first one. I'm not saying that I'm in favor of these rates. I'm just giving you historical facts. So, uh, and these are marginal taxes. So this does not apply to everyone. In fact, it does not apply to the overwhelming majority of the American people. And when they did it, it did not apply to the overwhelming majority of American people. But in that golden period that I talked about, the period that a lot of times when MAGA says make America great again, they are referring to that same period, the 50s, 60s, etc., when everything was booming. In that time period, we had the most progressive presidents the world this country has ever seen. They were super strong, and they passed laws that made a difference. And at that point, the tax rate for the highest bracket was 91%. So I'm not saying it should be 91% now, even for the highest bracket. I'm definitely not saying that. But apparently, that worked, because that is when our economy was at its best. And that is when we created the biggest middle class the world has ever seen. So if you think at the very highest brackets, incredibly high taxes can't work, it is factually incorrect. It can work, and it did work, and in fact, it worked spectacularly. Even now, I wouldn't agree with it, but it, maybe I'm wrong, right? So because those are, those are things that actually happen. Now, but Keith, today, the problem isn't whether the t- highest ma- marginal tax rate should be 35% or 39% or even 70 or 90 right? No, the problem is where are they spending the money? And so that's where bribery has made all of the difference. Once this, And I call those Supreme Court decisions the four horsemen of our apocalypse. Because once they said corporations are human beings, absurd, with unalienable yeah. rights given to them by their creator, absurd. God didn't create corporations. We did. And they don't have constitutional rights. They don't have natural rights. They don't have human rights. That's insane. But once they did that, and they said they have the freedom of speech and money is speech, you just flat out legalized bribery in America. You made America the most corrupt country in the world, the most corrupt. And that breaks my heart, because in other countries, it's still illegal to bribe people. You still have to risk getting caught. You still have to bring in like a suitcase full of money. No, here it's perfectly legal. You just give it to them. And yeah, they theoretically spend it on their campaigns, but it gives them power, fame. It allows them to give paid speeches, write books, et cetera. And half the time, they funnel the money to themselves anyway. That's how the Clintons get into office broke. They come out having $150 million. And when I tell that to Democrats, they, 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 oh my God, you must be a right winger. No, brother, they're also stealing from you, right? Pelosi and McConnell, Republican Democrat, they both took a billion dollars in legalized bribes. And NPR and New York Times would have you believe that when McConnell did it, he was the devil. And when Pelosi does it, she's an angel. No, they're both taking bribes. They're both servants of the ruling class, and they both do exactly as they are ordered. So the problem isn't the rate of taxes at this point. The much larger problem at this point in American history is what they do with them. And right now what they do with them is hand it right over to their donors.
0: And we see this even in the Golden... Uh, age of 40s, 50s and 60s. In the 40s, we had like 200,000 Japanese civilians murdered by the government with Operation Meeting House, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We had uh, the Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia, mass murder of civilians, 260 million pounds of bombs dropped in Operation Barrel Roll. So whenever I mention the benefits of Walmart, Amazon and Apple, I'm always told to look at, well, there's also downsides. When it comes to government, even at its best years, they're still committing large-scale atrocities, the likes of which the Ku Klux Klan couldn't even imagine committing. Is there ever a point at which you would concede that government uh, is the problem in and of itself because of the incentives that it has and everything should be moved to the voluntary sector? What would you need to hear to give up progressivism?
1: No, that's such an extreme position. No, I would never agree to that extreme position where we have no government. Keith, the very first thing that would happen is somebody would come to your house and take all of your stuff. And they'd go, hey, I did it voluntarily. Good luck to your brother. And then you'd have to arm up and he'd have to arm up. Next thing you know, we're all killing each other to no end. So now I'll go to your specific examples, though. You're not wrong that the number of civilians we killed in World War II and and the atrocities that we uh, partook in, before we even bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we killed more people in the fire bombings of Tokyo. The houses were built of wood in Japan. We knew when we dropped those fire bombs into the middle of Tokyo, it was going to kill hundreds of thousands of civilians, little babies, grandmothers, everyone. It was indiscriminate. The bo- nuclear bomb was, and so was the fire bombing. We also did it of Dresden in Germany, and the Germans did it of London, It's and it goes on and on and on. So that sounds like, oh, and in fact, even Robert McNamara, who at the time was basically a, a glorified accountant, and he could, ke- kept track of how effectively we were killing uh, uh, not only enemy soldiers, but enemy civilians. And later he would become Secretary of Defense um, uh, when during Vietnam. And he said, oh, if we had lost World War II, of course we would have all been tried as war criminals. Like he acknowledged it, right? Okay, then you said, well, you see the government is monstrous. Mm. Hold on. Context is super important. If our government hadn't fought back against the uh Axis, uh, so the the Germans, the Italians, and the Japanese at the time, Hitler was doing far, far, far worse. And so were the Japanese, by the way, rape of Nanking and, and others. So imperialism is real, it's not just limited to America. It's also other countries also do it. And yes, we had to fight back against the Nazis and Imperial Japan. You could uh have a bone to pick with how we did it. And I don't know if that's Monday morning quarterbacking it or that's legitimate criticism or probably a combination of both. But yes, we need a government to fight back against the Nazis.
0: When uh, it comes to another thing we agree on, by the way, the the, the name of the book is Justice is Coming, How Progressives Are Going to Take Over the Country and America is Going to Love It. Links will be in the description below. Um, When it comes to things that we agree on, you mentioned in the book that you are opposed to the drug war. So we both agree on this. What is your principled reason for opposing the drug war? And let's try to stretch out those implications to see what else we can come to an agreement on.
1: Well, I like this. Um, I like look, I think that the that a lot of wings of the of the political spectrum these days have more agreements than they realize. Uh, But corporate media is, uh, in a sense, paid to drive us apart. So they emphasize the culture wars because it gets people very emotional and very divided and fighting each other to no end. So I don't love the culture wars from the right or the left. Uh, And if we unite on economic issues that we care about, people are gonna be shocked at how much we agree and how effective we can be if we can get past the corporate media propaganda that divides us. And I'll just do one quick aside before I get to your drug war question. Uh, I mentioned earlier, where does all the money from the bribes go? Well, it goes to the politicians in the beginning, what do the politicians do with it they largely buy ads in media so last uh, midterm cycle they spent 17 billion dollars in those elections which is mind-boggling and almost all of it went to corporate media so corporate media has 17 billion reasons to not see the corruption not report on the corruption and go oh no those are honest politicians having honest debates about their principles." Oh, golly, gee, I guess the people with most money won again. But they don't tell you, no, they got bribed. And that's exactly why they passed that bill. So now on the drug wars. So for sure, marijuana should be legal. There's no question about that. It's crazy. It's the equivalent of having a coarse Light and we put people in prison for that. That's mental. Uh, so on the harder drugs, there's an argument to make to make them all legal. Uh, and and Portugal's an interesting example, that doesn't mean that when you make it legal, you then go, oh, it's wonderful, and you should all try fentanyl. <laughs> no, no. There's a way that you could provide those drugs uh, in an environment where people then become less likely to take them. Go into a cold, government, sterile you know, office and be prescribed your drug- drugs uh, etc. And it does. It makes it less sexy, less fun, etc. I'm not saying that that's going to just solve it magically by itself. But we have to think through different solutions. And sometimes government can say, "Hey, that fentanyl is almost certainly going to kill you. I'm sorry, I can't let you take it." Right? Uh, it's but but maybe the answer is no. There's a different way to tackle that problem for the super hardcore drugs. Where it, yes, you can take it but we're going to try to discourage you from taking that in a thousand different ways.
0: Okay. Uh, so well, would you uh, invoke the my body, my choice principle when it comes to drug use in general?
1: On the lower level drugs, for sure. On the higher level drugs that have an incredibly high percentage chance of doing massive damage to your body, your mind, and your life, it gets hard. And And I'd love to hear different proposals what, some that have no government restrictions, some that have a lot of government restrictions and everything in, in the middle to see what model worked. And I would go to other countries and different states, different countries to see what they tried and what was the most effective, because our goal is the same. Limit the damage to uh, the average American that these drugs create while giving as much freedom as we can so that people can make their individual choices.
0: Excellent. Uh, Final uh, question. Thank you so much for your time here. Uh, Thomas Sowell wrote a book titled Basic Economics. He says, in reality, most of the great fortunes in American history have resulted from someone's figuring out how to reduce costs so as to be able to charge lower prices and therefore gain a mass market for the product. Henry Ford did this with automobiles, Rockefeller with oil, Carnegie with steel, Sears, Penny, Walton, Jeff Bezos is also, uh, in creating Amazon, drastically decreased prices, increasing the amount of options that consumers have, and uh, also the uh, number of jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs as well uh, has done this with uh, things like iPhones and really uh, empowering the average person. When it comes to empowering the average person, should we look more so at the free market when we have all these empirical examples, or am I still missing something about the free market that only the state can provide?
1: So again nuanced answer here uh so and why are so many answers nuanced because you need balance to get to the right solution and so you can't it's easy to go to an extreme but it doesn't get you the right answer so uh in this case i look i told you earlier i'm a democratic capitalist uh and so i believe in free markets uh let me first quickly say that what we have today is not free markets uh, so what we've created is corporatism and corporatism is the enemy of capitalism. It looks for a monopoly advantage to artificially increase its prices, and it tries to destroy competition. Adam Smith warned about it. He said, you must not allow bribery, I and mean, you must not allow monopolies, okay? Because if you do, you won't have free markets anymore. So for example, you've cited a number of things where what we call, quote unquote, the free market today in America, has driven down prices. But I could show you many things where it has driven up prices. In fact, the number one example is what I mentioned earlier, drug companies. So drug companies are not a free market at all. They have complete government capture. They bribe uh, government officials more than any other industry, even more than oil or bankers or the defense contractors. It's stunning that they bribe at a greater volume than defense contractors. So those drug companies then go in and say, you must pass laws where you can't even negotiate with us. (laughs) What? That's not the free market. That's insanity, right? That's corporatism on steroids, where corporations have won, they cut off small businesses, they cut off their competition, and they charge uh, exorbitant prices. So we can't negotiate drug prices. They extend their monopolies uh, through patents. It is very literal. It used to be five years. Now it's up to 12 years. They have set the rules in so many different ways to drive up prices because of corruption. Now, sometimes prices are driven lower by the free market, and the closer it is to a free market, that is, and and when when I say free, it doesn't mean there are no regulations. You actually need the regulations to ensure that it is free, because if you have no regulations, it will not be free. Whoever gets to the top first will set the rules so that no one can compete with them. Read The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. He explains this. Free market does not mean no regulation. It means you must have regulation. The question is how much regulation. Too much regulation strangles the market. Too little regulation strangles the market. So so some uh, prices went down because of the phenomenon we talked about earlier in the interview, where that it's a global market and Vietnam and China, et cetera, are driving down the prices by having lower costs. Now, some of the examples you mentioned about the robber barons, I think, unfortunately, that is very disingenuous on Seoul's part. Because some of that stuff is true, like the Ford example, but some of it, he's leaving out massive critical parts. They drove down prices how? By working their uh, employees to the ground, no safety regulations, people would die at far greater rates, no weekends, no overtime, child labor. I mean, they mangled their employees to get to those lower costs. So just lower costs is not the only factor you should look at. And that is why we need regulations to protect the average American, both their wages and their physical safety. But again, if you have too much regulation, then it's, you're not helping the workers. The prices will go higher. Businesses will get bogged down. So when I say that, the left gets angry at me. But no, the extreme answer is also not on just the extreme left. It's not on the extreme right either. The answer is how much regulation do we need to protect all of us? and to give us the best possible market where we can get low prices but still protect the American workers.
0: The book is Justice is Coming, How Progressives Are Going to Take Over the Country and America is Going to Love It. Links will be in the description below. Thanks to everyone for watching the Libertarian Institute and Keith and I don't tread on anyone. Cenk Uger, thank you so much for your time.
1: Keith, thank you for the smart, interesting, engaging conversation. I really appreciate it.